you want to be a radical for Jesus? Well, this is Pastor David, host of Restoring Your Voice, and that's what this show is geared toward. Geared toward everyday Christians to equip you for the good works of Jesus and live out your faith radically. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Restoring, Restoring Your Voice. Alrighty then, that's right. Welcome to this episode on Labor Day, the 5th of November, or 5th of September, I got it mixed up, 5th of September 2022, and welcome, 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 uh, real quick, hey, gotta give the plug in for the channel, alright, hit that subscribe button if you have not, why not, alright, lots of great content organized for you, lots of different playlists, I'm constantly up, <clears throat> changing things, constantly uh, adding new playlists, so don't miss out, make sure you hit that bell icon and you hit all for your notifications, uh, also, Hey, the new website, davidcmcguire.org, davidcmcguire.org, and sign up to receive my newsletters if you have not. All right. So with all the plugins out of the way, roll, yeah, real quick. Um, so uh, got a great interview airing for you tomorrow. Uh, that'll be with Linda Gunter. Uh, we, talk, we talked about how God is supernaturally moving in Haiti. In Haiti, and uh, that ministry that she started was uh, only done by the supernatural power of God. Praise God for that. Uh, this week, uh, I have some great upcoming interviews and interviewing. I'm interviewing Wednesday, Mitch Glazer, all right, of Chosen People's Ministry. I am looking forward to uh, doing that. And um, the, oh, by the way, so there will be no question and no live Q and A session this week because I have an interview scheduled. Uh, at that time, so there will be no live Q&A session uh, this week. All right, so with that, um, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to be on the theme of revival this week. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about uh, do we really want revival? And then Wednesday, I'm going to talk about is it too late for America? So in the context of revival, not as in anything political, all right, politics is not our hope, a president is not our hope. Uh, but it's time we asked ourselves the hard questions. It's time we took an honest look at ourselves. Um, because let's face it, there's a lot of stuff out there about revival. Some of it good, a lot of it bad. There's books being written and published all the time on the subject of revival. Uh, you can study revival history. Um, but nowadays it seems... You know, we have many different views, I think. I've heard I've heard everything from revival is coming to revival is here. And um, only in that light. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we really want revival or not? Do we really want it? Because it's nice to write books about it. It's nice to say, oh, revival is coming. Oh, revival is here. There's even songs written about this type of stuff. But I don't think the majority really want it because to have revival takes a lot and also the first place it starts is looking right in the mirror that's right looking at yourself looking at myself because if we want revival to truly start it starts with you and me it starts in our personal lives it starts in our personal walk with Jesus it, it starts in our everyday life it doesn't start on this grand scale first. It starts when nobody looks looking, right? <clears throat> what nobody sees. We're not doing this to, to be famous, right? We're not being quote unquote revivalists, if you will. What we're doing 
is saying, God, pour out your fire upon me. You know, um, recently, um, you know, it was last week. In fact, I was talking about compromise kills. I believe that ties directly in to do we really want revival? Because we have to take a look. Are we compromised? Are we compromising the things of God for the things of this world? Are we thinking that we can actually have our cake and eat it too? You know, and in, in, in the larger sense, I guess this would play into local church bodies, right? But but before we go into that, right, it's easy, because let me say it's easy to point the finger, right? It's, it's easy to look at the external, but it's not so easy, we can all admit this, to look at ourselves, right? We all have areas we can get better in, right? But, but we have to ask God, God, what is it in my life? Where, 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 what part of my life may be hindering revival? What do, do am I not? Am, is my prayer life focused wrong? All right, is it, is it the bless me prayers? Is it the give me prayers? Right, or are we actually coming to God in prayer time, right, willing to seek His face, willing to speak His voice, or seek His voice? Yeah, God still speaks today, right? I mean, that's another issue whole in and of itself is this whole cessationism nonsense mumbo jumbo right where, where they don't believe the gifts are for today well if they don't believe it then you know what let's just face it, they're not a part of revival period the end because revival can only come by the working and by the moving of god's holy spirit by god's holy spirit in each and every single one of us those of us who are walking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now that's a whole other subject for another time. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I believe on that, what I believe that the Bible says, I should say. But those walking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and with the very fire of God, willing to become a torch, if you will, right? Willing to 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 start the fires of God wherever you are at, right? And this is not about size of a platform, by the way. This is not about size of followers and and likes and subscribers, right? Let's stop judging wrongly, right? That's another thing we can fix in and of ourselves, right? And I see it quite, quite, uh, quite a bit too often. I shouldn't be seeing it all. Wish I didn't see it. But we in the church individually love to judge other people based on some modern version of if somebody is truly of God, if somebody is truly a pastor, a prophet, whatever, right? And that's numbers. Right? You, you've heard me talk about that. It's not about a numbers game to God before. Why? Because it's absolutely true. It's all throughout the Bible. But but we like to say, well, if a person doesn't have X amount of subscribers, if a church doesn't have a website, you know, if if the views count on your video, if the likes on your stuff, whatever it may be, isn't whatever, you know, external number, then you can't be of God. Yet Yet God moves most mightily, I say, and most powerfully, in those who don't seek fame, who, who don't have the highest view count, who don't have the highest number of subscribers, whatever it may be, because God is not about that, right? In fact, God warns against judging like that. God warns against judging the outward appearance, right? Judge the heart of a person, not some external thing. And if we're, we're judging by some external appearance, by some modern, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, so, some modern way, some mo modern measuring stick, if somebody is truly of God, then we're not going to have revival because we're only 
we're, we're only judging by that. Yet that person, that ministry, that church, whatever, could be just a whitewashed tomb, right? In other words, it looks good on the outside. It has a great appearance, very attracting, right? But dead on the inside. See, we, if, we, if we ourselves, and we can all get, let's just face it, let's all be honest with, our, with each other, right? We can all fall into the trap of judging by some external value, you know, books published, if you will, uh, a podcast, uh, uh, conferences, things like that. That God judges by none of that. God judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart what's inside of each and every one of us. And we have to be able to come to grips with that, right? Let's, let's stop trying to put on a show. Let's stop trying to put on uh, an appearance when inside, like, we need serious work. We need God to, 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 to do a serious change in each and every single one of us. We, we desperately, I'm going to say, go. we desperately, desperately, need it because we want revival we want it to spread across the land but what about the compromise in our own personal life right oh i i i, I love god i want things of god i want to see a move of god right but we don't even bother to meet god we don't bother to open up our bibles and study them for ourselves not study for say sermon preparation or, or show or, or book notes, or, or whatever have you. No, we study the Word of God simply because we need to be fed by the things of the Spirit. We need to feed our spirit by the things of the Spirit, and we're not doing that. And then we wonder why we're getting into so much trouble. Right? We want to see something, but are we willing to make it happen? Are we willing to be a part of it? Let me tell you what. Revival has never once come easily. Never. It's never come in the easy season. It's never come when things are going so great. Right? Revival has always come out of the darkest hour. And we'll get into that on Wednesday. You know, I've been uh, reading a book on the life of Martin Luther. Very good book. Uh, the title of it is Luther. By Eric Metaxas. Very, very well done book. You know, Luther, you know, I would say he's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest revivalist. Maybe, you know, we won't, wouldn't coin that term back then, right? But I believe we could, we could put that onto Martin Luther as one of the greatest revivalists, right? Because why? Back in his day, it was the Roman Catholic Church that ruled the world. Right or I just the, the Europe European world right. It, it was a Roman Catholic Church, and and it was dead, right? It was it was a dead version of Christianity, not a real version of Christianity, just a dead version of it. And they they were it right. The common person knew nothing of the things of God, and even the priests knew nothing of the things of God. I don't know if you know this, but in the days of Martin Luther, and leading up to it. Uh, leading up to the Reformation, that the priest knew nothing of what was in the Bible. And, and and the average layperson had zero access to the Bible because the Bible, for one, 
was written in Latin. And also the, the very few Bibles were actually published at that time. Yet God calls a man by the name of Martin Luther in the 16th century Germany, right? He is, he enlightens Martin Luther to understand what salvation is truly about, right? How people can live freely for God, right? And, and Mar so, so the ball gets rolling. And, and Martin Luther, right, sees what's going on. He, he sees these things called indulgences happening in his day. And I'm not going to go into the details of it, but he confronts it, right? That's, what, that's why he wrote his 95 Theses, for example was against indulgences, right? He's like, something has to happen. Some reform must happen from within the Roman Catholic Church. And so he writes these, and it's like he posts them, right? Not in protest, by the way, but as a he wants to debate these. And so it balloons from there. And, and God empowers this man, Martin Luther, not to back down, right? But to continually press forward. And because of that, at first he, he was alone. In, in this, then he had a, a, a few, very few uh, with him. And yet the results echo to our modern day. And many things that we think about, many things that we do, even the laws and ways we, we do business here in the United States of America are all due to when Martin Luther obeyed God, when it wasn't easy for him to do. When he realized even first in his own life, he had a mess to get rid of. That he had a wrong view of God. He had a wrong view of salvation. He had a view of, of I, he had to work to earn something. And he knew he was never going to be good enough. So revival had to start first and foremost in Martin Luther's life. He changed that happened. Praise God it did. Praise God he opened his Bible, studied the word, devoured the word of God. And because of that, God was able to use him. You see, you see, it does tie directly in that the word of God is so absolutely essential to the Christian life. And we're not going to have breakthrough. We're not going to have revival when we so flippantly uh, just treat the word of God. And we think so light of it. Yet, yet it is absolutely essential. It's just as essential today as it has ever been. It has never lost its importance. Why do we today, especially in America, decide to treat the Bible so lightly, right? We play fast and loose with the scriptures. We twist them to make them, <clears throat> you know, make us feel more comfortable about ourselves, though. That was never the purpose. That was never the intended purpose of the Word of God, was to make us feel better about ourselves. I mean, in, in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> the author writes that, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. You think any of that feels good? Absolutely not, but it's well worth it. It's well worth it. But when we but, but how often do people read the word of God with the intention of the word of God doing its work inside of them? See, we want to something a lot of times we want to read oh wow that makes you feel comfortable wow i'm the head not the tail which is true that is a true scripture amen for all those who are in christ i'm above not beneath wonderful truth to it but that's not the only truth the feel good scriptures are not the only truth every word from genesis to revelation 
is the true word of God, and we absolutely need all of it, right? We, we, we need them, that says, to let our, for instance, our speech be seasoned with salt and grace, for instance, right? Because the average Christian, with, with the advent of social media today, just, you know, machine guns out with the mouth, right? Lacking anything of Jesus Christ in that speech, lacking any salt, any grace, for instance, as an example, right? All I have to do is scroll, scroll through social, social media, right? Go to some Christian, I don't know, Facebook page or Twitter account or something. And you'll just see back and forth, back and forth. Oh, you're this, you're that. Oh, da, 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 da. What in the world are we thinking, folks? What what in the world is truly going on? What? Oh, wait a minute. The Word of God says, I have to be that way? Oh, man. Wait a minute here. The Word of God tells me to take certain thoughts captive. I'm not doing that so well at times. Oh, wait a minute, the Word of God commands me on what to think on, but sometimes I, I think about, and I concentrate more on what so-and-so said against me, or what so-and-so did against me, rather than whatsoever things are true, pure, lovely, honest, or just report, and so on. That these are things that the Bible commands us, right? <clears throat> Jesus, throughout his ministry, you go, go read the Sermon on the Mount, Right, and you'll see that every word in there is for the Christian, it's for the believer. The Sermon on the Mount was not spoken to a crowd of unbelievers. Wait a minute, the Bible says that if I lust after another woman, if I look on her with lust in my heart, I've just committed the act of adultery. Wait a minute here, Pastor, for instance, why are you allowing women to be scantily dressed in your church? Yet the Bible says. It's a sin to look upon a woman with lust, hmm. for instance. But we want revival, right? Revival isn't easy. Revival, those who truly want revival also are going to be offensive. It's, they're going to be offensive to the lukewarm believer, those who truly want revival. Those who want revival, you, you are not going to be well-loved. You're not going to be, be well-received. You're going to be scorned, mocked, hated, and more. Because the lukewarm person, right, the person who just wants to be comfortable in their life, doesn't want it upset in any way, shape, or form. They, they don't want you to rock their proverbial boat. Yet, that's exactly what needs to happen if revival is to come. It's time to speak the truth. It's time for, for, for us to get that Holy Spirit bonus once again. Right? When we speak the truth, why? Because we want to be right? Or we want to win an argument? No, no, no. God forbid we have that attitude. All right? If we have an attitude of just speaking the truth because we're right or we want to be right and win arguments, we're going to do far more damage than bring any good out of it. Now, what I'm saying today is because we love, because we want to see the church thrive, we want to see Christians mature, Right, we want to see the standards of God be upheld once again. We want to see people live for God. We don't want to see people go to hell. We don't want to see people living a compromised life, struggling with this and struggling with that, and wondering from, from one day to the next whether or not they're saved and whether or not they're of God. No, we don't want to see that. We want to see people on fire for God. We want to see people live for God. 
because of that, because of our, our love, right? That godly love is why we will speak the truth. And that is going to, that is not going to be well received. But just because something is not well received doesn't mean we don't speak it, right? We confront the errors. We, we, we put out there, what is heresy? We must put that out there. We must put out there the standards of God. We must say it's not okay to hate people. That, that God commands us, for instance, to love our enemies and pray for them. Because I guarantee if more Christians started loving their enemies and praying for them who, who persecute them, hate them, speak all evil things with a, with a joyful heart, by the way, it's all things that Jesus commands us, I guarantee that revival would come. I guarantee revival would come. But revival is not going to come without prayer. Revival is not going to come without a radical love of God being exhibited in every believer's life. We don't have a choice in this if we want revival. But we can say all the live long day, revival, revival, revival. We can write books. We can, we can do schools of the spirit, right? We can do all of that. But that, but it, but none of that is the action that we need to take for revival to come. None of that is a radical love. I can write a book, I'm mean, the written one, but uh, you know, if I wanted to, I suppose I could and write this book. I'm, for instance, revival, right? But that doesn't exhibit the radical love of God. The radical love of God tells us to go. The radical love of God tells us to be in action, not to sit around, to, but to go out there, to, to be with the people, to minister to others. Well, who cares what they say about us? We still pray for them. We love them. You know, Jesus never once asked what somebody thought of him before he healed him. He never said, do you fully believe that I am the Messiah? I am God in the flesh. Do you believe that? Never asked those questions. He decided love and action. Love and action. And so many came to him and had him as their Lord because he exhibited a radical love to those in need. See, it's the religious crowd that doesn't want that to happen. The religious crowd wants things to fit in a certain model. The religious crowd wants God in a box, right? Mm -mm, it must be done this way every single time, right? They want to break down the Christian life to a formula. And every believer, right? Every guy must sound, look the same, believe the same. Every woman must sound the same, look the same, believe the same. But that's not God. That's not the way God works. Granted, I'm not talking about going outside of, of, of Christian orthodoxy. No. But some is the hand, right? Some are the foot. Some are the arm, the leg, and so on and so forth. That means we sound differently. We look differently. We, we minister differently. We all believe in the same essentials, absolutely. Right? The essentials that, that cannot be compromised one inch and one iota on. 
That doesn't mean we're all in the same ministry. That doesn't mean we all evangelize the same. We don't, we all preach the same. No, no. God calls each and every single one of us. But the religious crowd doesn't like that because that means we have to, that requires something of us, right? That that requires us to lay down our pride, to lay down notions of shame, to go out there and to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need it most. This, this is something that goes beyond, say, knocking on doors, handing out Bible tracts and so on. That's easy to do. Knocking on somebody's doors is an easy thing to do. I mean, I don't like it. That's not my preference way of doing things. But it's easy at the end of the day. What about that person on the street? What about that ragged person, for instance, begging for money? The person who's not so well-dressed, who's driving a beat-up car and could very well possibly be living in that car. What about those people? Aren't those the people who need Jesus the most? Not those who are well-off to do. What about reaching out, going out? You know what that requires summed up? Doing exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Where we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus every single day. We deny ourselves. Yeah, you know what? It would be more comfortable to sit in my air-conditioned home. Right? It would be more comfortable to simply for me to sit behind a camera. Right? I don't have to interact. It would be easier for me to, you you put that in there. Right? It would be easier, um, I don't know, choose something. But that's not what the Bible calls the Christian to do. The Bible calls the Christian to deny themselves. When, when, when we would rather be comfortable, and we will, when we all get tempted to choose that, let's be honest, right? There's no sin in being tempted, by the way. But there is sin when we give into it. Yeah, whew, oh man, I'm so much more comfortable here. No, now you're not denying yourself anymore. No, denying ourselves, right? Denying ourselves the adulations and the praise of man. Taking up that cross, right? That that to the world, to the unsaved, is shameful to the world. But the most beautiful thing in the in the eyes of God, right? Where we are willing to do what Jesus did, willing to walk that road even at the expense of our own life, if it comes to that. But we say we want revival, but are we willing to do all of that? Are we, be, are we willing to, to partake in the glorious suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are we willing to, to walk upon that road paid for us by him and by many others who have been martyred throughout history? Paul. Peter, James, more. Those who willingly laid down their life for the sake of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to do that? People all over the world do it today willingly. With joy. Willingly walk into the jaws of danger. Because... Jesus Christ is so worth it. But if Jesus Christ is not 
worth it that much to us personally, then we're not having a part in revival at all. We're just having a part in keeping the status quo. In other words, keeping things as is. That's what we have a part to play in. The question is, what part do you want to play? Because we all have a choice to make. Every believer, every Christian, we have a choice we can make. And so we can be part of the status quo. We can do our best not to rock the boat, right? And sure everything stays streamlined, nice, easy, comfortable. boys, good job, keep going on. Or are we willing to say no, no more? No more compromise? I'm going to do what it takes. What God has called me to do. I, I think some of you out there have been sitting around knowing God has called you to do something specific. He called you to do something specific. And you know it. And you've known it for quite a bit. But you've been disobeying God because it's uncomfortable. Right? You, 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 you probably sit there and think, hey, well, if I do this and you start weighing up the pros and the cons. Right. And, and in your way of thinking, the cons start to outweigh the pros. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus will never outweigh the cons, or never, the cons will never outweigh Jesus. I had that mixed up. Right. Look, Jesus went through it all. Right. Suffering. Right. The, the, those who tried to put shame on him being beaten, scourged, finally crucified, mocked, all that, hunted down. Do you think he honestly weighed up? Man, if I do this, this is what... No, thank God he didn't. Thank God he was willing to go to the cross for you and me regardless of the outcome. And who are we to have a disobedient mindset when you know what God has called you to do? Start to do it. Get up and do it. Don't worry. Don't know. Well, if I do this or I'm not good enough to that or don't worry about it. Look, if God calls you to do it, he will equip you to do it. Remember a man named Moses tried the same thing. I'm not, he tried to say, well, I, I don't really talk that well. I don't know why Moses ever used that excuse since he was educated, you know, <clears throat> in the palace in Egypt, which means he would have been very well-spoken. By the way, far more well-spoken than I am. But he tried that. Tried the excuse. God was having none of it. If God called you to do it, he's going to equip you to do it. Right? Well, you say, well, how does this play into revival? Because God calls each and every single one of us to do the part that he called us to do. Now, on that same coin, on the other side of the coin, don't do it like somebody else does it don't fall into that trap so I, I believe that we have too many clones walking around too many mini means walking around that's why we're also revitalizing happen we're we're so concerned with the way somebody else does it and we don't ever just stop and think is it one the right thing remember just because something looks good doesn't mean it's it, it doesn't mean it's not dead inside and two it may be right but is it the right thing for me to do? Does God want me to speak on that? Is that the way God wants me to speak? Is that the way God wants me to dress? 
too many mini-me's. Yes, God is all about unity and diversity at the exact same time, right? Unity under the banner of Jesus Christ, the family of Christ, right? We're all brothers and sisters because we all believe the same essentials. But diversity in the way we carry out the kingdom business here on this earth. But I believe, and, I, and I'm speaking from um, experience, um, being honest about my own personal walk, and I didn't know what right looked like exactly. I thought... Well, this person over there, well, they, they seem to have it down. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I should try to be more like them, right? And I and I did that um, with with different people, and it never turned out well for me. I never actually ended up doing what God called me to do. And and so I, I don't want you to be afraid or ashamed. Well, I'm not doing exactly like so and so. So what? So what? I, I guarantee you, you know, in fact, that some of the greatest men of God right, did things that were quite different from what other people around them were doing. Think of Martin Luther, right? In the day, everybody did the exact same thing. In fact, in fact, Martin Luther um, uh, became an Augustinian monk, right? Talk about uniformity and doing what everybody else does, you know? Everybody gets up the exact same time every day. Right? Everybody prays at the exact time every day. Everybody, 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 right? But Martin Luther broke the mold with all of that, right? He's like, you know, eventually, eventually it came to the point where he was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't be a, <clears throat> I can't be a monk anymore. And he was hated for it. You know, you know, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church of his day, I uh, said, nope, he's a heretic. He's got to be hunted down. Um, we we got to kill this guy. We got to take him out. So while the majority of people at one point in time. We're doing the exact same thing. Martin Luther was like, no, I know what God wants me to do. And because God, this is what God has called me to do, I'm going to do it regardless of what everybody else around me is doing. Let me tell you what, friends. All right. It's not a numbers game. All right. The majority of people doing something does not determine the truth of it. All right. It doesn't determine whether it's right or wrong. Remember that the majority of people in, the, in Israel at, at the time when God was sending his prophets to warn them, they were all doing pretty much the same thing, right? They, they were all worshiping a foreign gods, things like that. They were all disobeying God, right? All of them, the majority, not, not every single one, but the majority of them, right? And yet God was like, mm -mm -mm -mm, wrong. That's wrong to do just because they're all doing it. Let me tell you also on the flip side of that, don't get discouraged, right? We can't go out there thinking that we're the only ones who have it right. That's very dangerous. Because you know who else fell into that trap? A prophet by the name of Elijah, right? Come, just He just comes away from, from his greatest victory, right? The, the victory on Mount Carmel, right? Him against all these prophets of Baal, right? And then he goes to a cave, and he starts wallowing self-pity. He starts getting all depressed. God, why am I the only one? How come there was nobody else speaking the truth and such? God was there like, uh, uh, um, Elijah, uh, did you forget I got 7,000 other prophets speaking the truth, doing the right thing, holding fast to me? So don't, don't get into the attitude because you don't know of many other people or maybe wherever you're at, anybody else willing to take a bold stance for God. Don't fall into the trap. That you're the only one, because that's not true. 
just because you don't see people, just because you don't hear people doing the right thing, taking a bold stance, preaching the word, amen, doesn't mean they're the only one, right? Let me tell you what, there are fine, 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 fine churches out there. There are fine churches in, in the state of California, right? One of the most, I don't know what to call California anymore, but fine men of God there. Fine churches not backing down, for instance. All right, and not just in California, but all throughout the United States. And while they may not be the majority, just like the 7,000 prophets in the cave were not the majority of Israel at that time, nonetheless, there are those today, just like there were those back in Elijah's day, who take a stand for the truth. Do not be discouraged, my friends. And right, let me tell you what, discouragement is a killer of revival. Discouragement is a killer of revival. Why do I say something like that? Because we want to see results, right? We're, oh, I can't wait. Results, 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 results. We may not always see the results in our lifetime. What do I mean by that? Well, going back to uh, medieval Germany, right? Prior to Luther's day, there was a man by the name of Jan Hus who stood up against the evils of the Roman Catholic Church in his day. Right, and of course, they hunted him down and eventually burned him at the stake. They condemned him as a heretic, burned him at the stake. Yet, not one time did Jan Hus ever give up, not one time did he ever recant the truth. He didn't see results in his day, but he didn't give up the fight either. He didn't see results in his day, yet, while he was being burned at the stake, he gave a prophecy about another man that would come after him who fit the exact description of Martin Luther to come. And, of course, there were other fine men of God uh, <clears throat> prior to uh, Jan Hus, and there were those uh, throughout Europe. But the point being is we may not always see immediate results. We may not even see results, though I pray differently, in our lifetime. But that doesn't excuse us from being in the fight. That doesn't excuse us from running our races. We must fight the good fight of faith at all costs. We can't look at the external. Well, don't you know these people are saying this and, and they're doing that and, and these new laws are getting in place. And Well, what about those people who <clears throat> for decades fought against Roe versus Wade? Now, I'm sure um, there were those who fought against this evil of abortion, and yet in their lifetime, they did not see results yet because of their part that they played in it decades later, almost 50 years later, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Imagine if they had given up, though, before the fight was over. Then what would have been the result? I don't know. All I know is that they didn't give up. All I know is that no true man or woman of God has ever given up. No, don't get me wrong. There are times when quit looks good. And I'll be honest. There are times that quit can look really good. Like the best thing ever. Right? I think we've all gotten to that point. If you haven't yet, don't worry. Walk, <laughs> walk with Christ long enough and you will get to that point. And you get tempted with that. And you get tempted with it. Right? Get tempted with it. But 
We must follow the example of our Lord and Savior. And we cannot be willing to quit. You know, I I know for a fact that I would have when if, if if I had been in the place of Jesus Christ, I just just let's hear me out real quick. That I would not have made it to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. I I'm not I'm just being honest. But but Jesus, right? He he prayed, you know, Father, you know, may this cup pass from me, but it didn't stop there. He said, nevertheless, Father, may your will be done. I think if we start there with that prayer, Father, may your will be done, I think we'll be on the right track. And if you haven't, maybe maybe you've gotten off the right track. Maybe you're not on the track anymore. Who knows? It's not too late for you. I want to encourage you today. It's not too late. I Simply bend your knee to the Father. Simply say it to him father your will not mine be done and i think if we, we we all make that part of our daily prayer life father your will not what my will be done while we uh, while we won't do it perfectly we're, we're human and we will fall short however we're not going to stay down we're not going to stay pressed down we're going to get back up those times when we stumble those times when we fall, we will get back up because we realize, you know what? It's not about me anymore. It's not what I want. It's not what my flesh wants. It's not about the ease of life. It's about the Father's will, no matter the cost. So I encourage you today. I encourage you. Make that part of your daily prayer life. Right? Maybe some of you out there do pray the Lord's Prayer in that way, like the exact word for it. You know what? Great. Praise God for it. Nothing wrong with that. But part of that prayer is what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? It all should be about God's will. When we start conforming our will to God's will, I'm telling you, radical change comes in our life. And as a result of the radical change that comes in our life, now radical change can go out and influence the rest of the culture around us. Because it started within us first. And you can be a part of that. It can start in you first. Amen. It can start in you right now, today. Don't wait another moment. Don't, don't wait another moment. You know what God's been calling you to do. Start doing it. That's it. Best, best answer I can give. You know, when I first started doing this stuff, I had just a laptop. I had no equipment. I had no lighting. <laughs> no camera. No microphone, no nothing. Just a laptop. That's it. Horrible, you know, video quality, horrible sound quality. But God called me to do that. So I started doing it. I mean, I didn't do it perfectly, but the point is that because God called me to do it, I went and did it regardless. And he would add things and add things and add things as, as things went on, right? Just like the scriptures say. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Right? Stop waiting until everything is perfect in your life to start doing, doing what God has called you to do. Because if you wait till everything's perfect in your life to do what God calls you to do, guess what? You will never do it. You'll never get up to do it because life is life. Right? And the situations in our life will never be perfect. Ever. Simply get up and do what God has called you to do. 
Don't worry about the rest of it. God already knows what we need. Right? The whole part of Matthew 6 tells us that. He knows what we need. He's going to provide it. You do what you need to do. I need to do what God has called me to do. And that's seek his kingdom first. Have the seek the kingdom mentality. God's will. Not your will. Have that mentality. And I guarantee you'll start to see revival in your own life. Amen? Because that's where it starts. So <clears throat> don't forget tomorrow show wonderful interview uh you don't want to miss it all right we're gonna hear some wonderful supernatural stories with god in it and then wednesday i beg the question is it too late for america all right is it too late for america so with that my friends be blessed